0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, our guest today is Pipa Gawley. She's a general partner at Zero Carbon Capital, a UK climate fund investing in early stage companies that are on a mission to fix climate change through deep science innovation. She worked with eBay in the UK, moved to Silicon Valley and is one of the re-immigrants as she moved moved back to Europe, like me. There's a lot we will learn in this episode from Pipa, how to crack the diversity problem in VC and climate tech in general, the level of maturity of the London and UK climate tech scenes and why there are so few unicorns yet, how Pipa runs a VC fund with her husband, which I have a lot of respect for. And I truly think you will enjoy this one. Pipa brings a unique perspective as a woman fund manager, and it's refreshing. Let's jump right in. Pipa, it's great to have you on Climate Insiders. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's great great to be here.
0: As a starter, could you briefly describe zero carbon capital for those that don't know you, fund size, geography, ticket size?
1: Mm -hmm. So we are an early stage investor. We invest in pre-seed and seed stage opportunities where there is a scientific innovation addressing some of the big unsolved problems of climate change. We're investing across uh, the UK and Europe and Israel and we invest down as low as 100k pounds um, Mm -hmm. and up to a million as our first investment um, and then with follow on uh, capital as well.
0: All right. And I know the answer, but I wanted to confirm with you to avoid uh, starting the show with a big fail. <laughs> Alex Golly, the other GP of your phone, is yeah. your husband, right?
1: He is. I'm so tempted to say brother, or it's just a coincidence, but no, <laughs> no It's uh he is my husband. Um, yeah, I think we 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 both feel that uh, we're bringing like really different uh, skills and um, experience to to the fund. Um, you know, it's been pretty convenient to be living in the same house during lockdown. You know, we could get For on sure. with work. You know, we
0: also can't um, do downsides. <laughs> yeah,
1: downsides and downsides. So, but yes, we we are indeed married. And um, yeah, I think I was just fortunate that when I was you know looking around and trying to work out who to co-found a fund with, um, I happen to have the, the answer under my nose.
0: All right, and can you yeah. tell us about the dynamics of running a VC fund with your husband? So it feels uh, like an incredible <laughs> thing to do for, for me, not sure I'd be up mm. for the challenge. How do you distribute tasks, for example, and hold each yeah. other accountable?
1: Yeah, and I think um, we we both feel that we can address most of the areas of running a fund. Um, so we, we we tend to divide up the tasks fairly dynamically. Um, at the moment, for example, he's really focused on the fundraising side and the operational side of that. So literally getting investors over the line and uh, you know managing that process, which is you know which is very time intensive, as you know. Um, and I'm focusing more on the company side, so making sure we've got that deal flow coming and um, that we're supporting our existing portfolio companies um, through their, their later stage fundraisers as well.
0: All right. And you also, another point of your career track that I find interesting, you moved back from the U.S. to the U.K. Mm-hmm. And I like to call us, because I'm one of them, the re-immigrants and (laughs) what is one of the biggest lessons or insight you brought back with you from silicon valley
1: wow um you know in terms of um you know just lifestyle just being a bit more positive you know the uk can be pretty um gray and miserable and i think we can tend to be quite a cynical bunch um so (laughs) i think you know just trying to be a bit more kind of upbeat you know it took me two or three years in california not to just think that everybody was really insincere because they'd be so positive and so friendly and i was like they can't all possibly be this positive and this friendly and eventually i realized that they were <laughs> so, um, but it took a while so you know i think i think we could we could learn something from that um and yeah. you know, from a from a venture perspective, I think just to have a bit more of that big vision. You know, I think every every problem can be solved with a business in California, and um, you know, every business is, can be a big valuable business. And you know, I think having that that mindset is is also the quite, mindset. A, quite exactly. A beautiful thing. Yeah. One yeah. word to
0: describe it: the mindset is just yeah. uh, the unstoppable drive and the fact that there's yeah. no ceiling. Yes. You know, in the US. Yeah. When uh, we're self-limiting, there's a bit of an imposter syndrome in Europe, there's all those things that are really limiting. I think so. So, to fund managers and entrepreneurs, just uh, dream bigger, I guess, as they say in the (laughs) US. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, let's let's talk about the the big picture of the climate tech scene in Europe. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. sit in Berlin, you are in the UK, in Emsworth, south of England.
1: Don't often hear about Emsworth
0: on a podcast, there you go. And so the climate tech ecosystem is is evolving so fast, it's hard to keep track of all the the players in every hub. There's no doubt that London has been the number one startup hub in Europe. And there's still a ton of dry powder coming in in 2022, Mm -hmm. um, since more than seven billion euros have been invested in, in UVC funds in 2021. So startups get ready, this money needs to be deployed. But could you share some insights from where you stand on what's happening on the climate tech front? Is it evolving as fast as the rest of the tech scene?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's evolving much more rapidly, actually. that As you say, I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed even looking back and you look at something like, you know, cyber or fintech, you know, I, I'd love to see some graphs on that, actually. Like, did they grow this quickly? Did they change this quickly? Um, it's hard to believe that that was was the case. Like, when you look at the the amount of capital coming into this space, um, but you know, incredibly, we need more. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it's kind of chicken and egg thing. We need more capital. We need more companies. They it, it needs to happen together. Um, and you know, I think the changes the changes that we're seeing that we're excited about are that I think you know, three years ago when we came back to the UK. Um, we saw a lot of like quite light tech kind of solutions. So a lot of website and apps, um, a lot of kind of energy efficiency plays um, and not a lot of the kind of like, right, we're going to go off the cement, steel, you know, mm-hmm. direct air capture, you know, that kind of the big unsolved problems. And so we're now seeing more and more of that kind of company um, coming into the ecosystem. So, um, you know, really great to see that there are more and more funds who are, um, saying at least that they're not shying away from, from hard tech uh, and more entrepreneurs then are kind of being liberated and aligning themselves around that, that call.
0: And if you look at, the, if you take a snapshot in May 2022, there are nine climate tech unicorns in Europe and only two in the UK. I did the research actually, um, two are, are categorized as, as such. Ovo Energy, which is an yes. energy utility company, yeah. not exactly young, they're 12 years old, and there's Octopus Energy, which is yeah. also a consortium of utility businesses. And uh, they don't exactly fit the unicorn profile that we have in mind. So does that mean that the London slash UK climate tech ecosystem is burgeoning with great companies that will graduate into unicorns in the next months or, or year? Or, or does that mean that it hasn't reached maturity yet and it will mm. take much longer?
1: Uh, you know, I think yes to both. There are certainly companies that are, you know, commanding pretty high valuations and going up very rapidly. But you know, from from where we are, it it would be quite a big ask, I think, to make make unicorns in the next few months. Um, It's undoubtedly going to happen, though. So I I see, you know, the rounds are getting bigger, the valuations are getting bigger, um, the ambitions are getting bigger, Uh, it's it's definitely going to happen.
0: And now looking, switching gears and looking at it from a from a fund perspective, do you see a ton of collaboration in the climate tech uh, Mm. scene in the UK? and and would you say we need more?
1: Uh definitely need more. Um yeah. it's it's one of again one of those kind of findings coming back from the US where, you know, everybody's so collaborative there and and we felt that, you know, because there's the market is growing so rapidly and everybody's got that mindset of positivity and kind of you're know, working together um I never had that feeling of anybody saying like well, this is my deal and you can't look at it and you know you definitely get that from some investors in the UK um so you know I think we've we've learned who we can be collaborative with and who to be a bit more careful around um you know investors across across the whole system um I, I would love for everybody to be more collaborative and kind of you know, respectful of each other's kind of work and um, who's going to be the best partner for each company, um, but equally, you know, working together to, to make sure that that, uh, that that company is well served by the, the capital and the support out there.
0: And so you talk about uh, collaboration on the deal flow level. Is, is there any other area that you can think of? For example, yeah, impact and, you know, assessment? So, uh,
1: to to put you know to give a shout out to um, for example Extantia who are you know late stage mm-hmm. fund in, in Germany um, like they they are LPs in our fund um, so that we we can supply them with early stage deal flow um, so you know it's really fantastic that they we are now kind of really interested in being symbiotic and that it's in our interest to give them great deals and vice versa so you know we can really work together so I think there's there's something in that as well that if a fund has um, you know that has a is able to have a fund of fund strategy, and they're able to bring in um, institutional capital that can support earlier stage funds. I think that's a, that's a great area for for collaboration.
0: It's great you mentioned them. They're you know sitting here in Berlin. They yeah. um, they will be on the show as well. So Fantastic. guys, stay tuned. It's great that they invest in the UK as a fund of fund. And I know you've spoken about that before, and I'd love to dig in. How do we enable more outliers, female? Diverse backgrounds to become fund managers.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it is such a problem in this space. You know, when you look at the numbers, it's 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 really shocking. Um, there are some great groups out there working on this kind of thing. So people like Diversity VC and um, uh, the Future World VC. Um, so they're they're doing things like um, helping. Uh, helping people to get internships in, um, in venture capital companies so that wouldn't necessarily otherwise be able to, to access those internships. Um, and you know I think that's critical. Uh, because you know we often talk to our portfolio companies about diversity and they'll say things like well you know we're looking for scientists and you know we just got all men applying and that's just what it is and I'm like well no you you can't have a conversation with the people who aren't in the room and if you really believed it would unlock the performance of your company um, like another you know 20-30% as the research supports then you would be trying harder to, to find these people you would be casting a wide net and um i think it's the same thing from a vc perspective it's it's incredibly hard to start your own vc as, as you know mm-hmm. um so i think i think anything that um that the incumbents can do to support um different voices to to come into this space whether it's internships support advice investment deal flow sharing you know i think it's kind of incumbent upon us to to do that um and as you know you- i think that there's a role that so- uh for systems level change as well i think there's a role that like governments need to play there to, to really support um, first-time uh, fund managers better
0: exactly so i wanted to, to uh, double click on that one mm. what has the highest chances of leading to a rapid result right in more diversity is it a top-down or a bottom-up meaning institutional investors public funds governments being forced by their shareholders to invest more in women or diverse backgrounds or is it us you know the community to influence so more bottom up influencing a broader set of people that it is accessible it can be done and sharing more tools insight tricks to become mm-hmm. for example angel investors or to um, to inspire more 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 female to be to become startup founders
1: yeah, I, I think there's a lot there around the the community, like the responsibility of the community to inspire and support different different founders, different investors, and there's you know, there's a ton of like guidance out there for for people who want to kind of educate themselves around that. But um, ultimately, like in our case. Um, for example, you know, if we talk to an LP and the LP has got a strategy around um, wanting to support women founders um, or women uh, GPs, then you know that's that's a really good positive signal that can go out there in the market and might inspire somebody to to form a fund that might not have um, considered that otherwise. Uh, and the, those LPs could be you know institutions or you know family offices or individuals, um, or it could be the government. You now, I think. Um, Government regulation is a very heavy handed tool that, um, you know, should be used sparingly. Uh, that's, you know, certainly the belief of you know, the current, current government in the UK. Um, and I think there's more that could be done with um, incentives and, um, you know, kind of trying to align those market forces. You know, like our, our government, as does the um, you know, Euro- European um, Investment Fund, supports early stage uh, funds as an LP. Um, if they had something that was more of an explicit mandate around supporting uh, underrepresented gps that would be a great thing um but you know for example we chose not to work with them because they limit you to investing only in the uk and mm. we didn't we didn't want to do that so you know i think <laughs> i think there's there's this kind of really it's a really multifaceted multi-layered problem um, that we can't solve i think with with one um, one silver bullet um but yeah i think that systems level change does need to come from like everybody in the ecosystem fundamentally believing that they will get better performance if there's a diverse team making the decisions.
0: Do you want to give a shout out to a few that are that have already gone under that path, or
1: what it in terms of founders or LTs? In, tr-
0: in terms of LPS.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I there's the, I don't know of any really that have made that their explicit strategy. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> That's also, it, also a good reality be... to check.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be wouldn't that be a nice thing? Um, You know, there are funds for sure that are looking for underrepresented founders, you know, like Ada here in the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there are several in the US, uh, which are doing really fantastic work. But isn't that kind of a sad thing that we need a special fund (laughs) to invest in female founders, you know, um, (laughs) it's just that but that's, that's where we are, you know.
0: That's right. I see it block by block, right? It's a pyramid uh, with the top of the pyramid, the LPs, the the dozens or hundreds. Uh, I don't see a a, a huge shift coming from that top level. Mm -hmm. So it has to go layer by layer. And I feel like the uh, idea of starting with Android investment, right, opening it up, democratizing it, demystifying Mm -hmm. it, as you said before. I've heard you say that before, uh, so that more women and they will do fantastic angel investment. They just have the values in the right place and they have all the skill set mm-hmm. that is necessary to, good, to be a good angel investor. As you have hundreds or thousands doing that, they will mm-hmm. naturally graduate into fund managers eventually.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I think there's lots of angel groups that focus just on, on women um, as angels and as founders, you know, like Astia. Academy in the, in the UK, um, Hermesa, you know, all doing great work. So, you know, I feel like that what what almost needs to happen is that original inspiration. You know, that that was what happened to me. That I was sitting there with all the right tools to be an angel investor, you know, had access to some capital and had um, like the technical background, had the finance financial services background, professional background, and it didn't, and I was living in Palo Alto, which is, you know, (laughs) literally you can go to a coffee shop and people are talking about term sheets. Um, And, you know, it still didn't occur to me. Um, You know, I needed somebody to point out to me that actually I'd make a great angel investor and, you know, kind of, I absolutely loved it. And the rest is, you know, that's where we've got to. Um, So, you know, I think, it, it, we almost need some kind of outreach program of like people to go out to friends and say, hey, have you thought about angel investing? And, you know, kind of come out, come to this event, you know, find out, find out more. Because I think, you know, you mentioned imposter syndrome and confidence. And I think a lot of women would just sit there going, oh, I know nothing about finance. You know, I don't, I wouldn't know where to start. And, um, you know, it's, it's we, we need more of that encouragement. Um, I, have, I have a side project called 513, where I'm working with two other female clean tech investors and a bunch of mm-hmm. amazing female investor scouts. Um, and we're trying to do that kind of thing, like have events to inspire um, great. people to become angel investors and just trying to, you know, grease that path.
0: Great. We'll link everything in the show notes, by the way, for yeah, listeners to, to easily find. And, I, uh, you know, shout out out there, people working on it, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, we want to do something for diversity, something that is practical, that yeah. won't take five years to implement, something that can take, you know, weeks or months mm-hmm. because it's desperately needed now. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk specifically about VC investment and I know your stance on software versus hardware and VCs are notorious for investing Mm -hmm. in software startups. It's just, uh, you know, the hockey stick curve, uh, higher return. We've invested for two decades in software. We kind of know that. And you specifically like to look at hard tech opportunities. Mm -hmm. Most hard tech climate funds are looking at hydrogen, direct air capture, sort of the what what has become these days is hard to say, but uh, low hanging fruits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what are areas do you specifically look like to look at and sort of yeah, value, so, un- 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 value? Yeah, yeah, we're we're
1: trying to find areas which which we think are going to be fundamental to that zero carbon transition and that we haven't yet solved. Um, we're also looking for opportunities where we can be additive, right? So you mentioned direct air capture, you know, it feels like the world and his dog is like throwing term sheets at any, like, you know, one person <laughs> with a slide. It's like kind of like software in Silicon Valley, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it, it's, it's, it's it's certainly overhyped. And so, you know, we try and be really honest with ourselves about like, is this an opportunity where we're actually going to add value? Um, or are we just going to kind of join in the bun fight for, for you know, for creds? um so you know and they're definitely we definitely see those opportunities um we haven't yet made any investments but we are we're hoping to do so shortly um you know hydrogen again i think again such such a huge space um Mm -hmm. so many different things you can invest in so we're kind of looking we're trying to find slightly more like differentiated ideas so um you know we're focusing very much on the you know bringing down the cost of green hydrogen to in a transformative way. So, um, you know, novel electrolyzers that are going to be fundamentally cheaper, um, transportation, storage, etc. But also trying to find things which perhaps are like slightly less invested in, like um, we're looking at an industrial hardware company at the moment uh, who are looking at hydrogen leakage, the problem of hydrogen leakage, Mm -hmm. um, which is like not something that is on a lot of radars, I think, and the, the issues of hydrogen as a, as a greenhouse gas, indirect greenhouse gas. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to find some of those slightly different opportunities that, that are open to us because we have a more technical background and we're, we love talking to engineers.
0: And, um, well, this is a good point, right? Uh, how do you invest in a hard tech business? You, you, it's a small team, right? Do you mm. consult external advisors or have a technical committee or a scientist that you run?
1: Yeah, so I, I studied manufacturing engineering. Um, my husband, astrophysics. Um, we're trying to hire now people who have like complementary areas of scientific knowledge, you know, particularly the hot areas of um, climate change solutions. So, you know, biotech and um, electrochemistry in particular, uh, anybody out there. Um, but, you know, At the end of the day, we can't possibly hope to cover everything from a fundamental expertise level. So we 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 go as deep as we can kind of with the with the companies initially, like digging into their tech and doing our own desk research. Um, And then we'll get to a point where we're we're pretty sure that we want to invest in the company um, and we get a sanity check from from um, an expert or ideally a few experts. Um, we, we work with, you know, a net, network of people, um, who are scientists in different spaces and also a really excellent company called Revener here in the UK, um, mm-hmm. who they have a team of 35 scientists, um, and they, uh, they have a deep network. So, you know, whenever I phone them and say, do you know anybody who knows about, you know, metal organic frameworks? And they're like, yeah, you know, and they'll find, you know, a proper deep expert to kind of sanity check what we, what we don't know.
0: Revener ER. So it's R E V E N A, N A Revena. Mm-hmm. Again, everything linked in the yeah. show notes. We're gonna make it practical for folks. Very insightful. Good to good to share. And now to understand how your your, your brain functions. And you you've seen Silicon Valley. You know they like to uh, quickly sponge up a ton of uh, intel and and make snappy decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us one area where you have completely changed your mind over the last two years. It's just evolving so quick. You were not sold, and now you're sold, or vice versa.
1: Hmm. You know, I think I'd have to pick on direct air capture. I think, um, you know, we, we, I was not. Uh, we originally thought it, it sounded like a good idea and something that was going to be needed um, because of you know our inability to act over the last uh, fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's become such a, a loaded area that I think we've had to, you know, really rethink about how we how we engage with it. Um, so, you know, I think you know, we still think it's necessary, but uh, we're really focusing on 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 the technologies that we think are going to be the most beneficial from a scale perspective. Um, I think, you know, in a kind of related way, like the the, the point source capture. So so that's carb- kind of carbon removal as opposed to carbon capture. Um we're, we're very hesitant about actually because of the whole moral hazard space so you know we we try and um we haven't yet been convinced by anybody that there's a great argument there um yeah that that we're we're going to need to to do carbon capture from a polluting industry and there isn't a better way of solving it
0: interesting so you're talking about you specifically looking at mitigation you know uh solving or cracking our bigger problems today but it really looks like we're the, the, the gigatons out there that have already been you know issued in India, we need to somehow crack that as well. And
1: yeah, and again, if, if we when, could stop emitting tomorrow, we, we wouldn't need to, but it's obvious that yeah, we're That's obviously right. not going to. There's
0: the inertia. <laughs> so
1: yeah, yeah. So the, the the laziness of the human species means that we're we're going to need the the carbon removal as well as everything else that we're doing. Um, and you know we the interesting thing is like from a from a cost perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it may, it would be much cheaper just to stop emitting and to find better solutions. Find you know, to have spent the last fifty years finding solutions on how to do that, but you know, but we didn't. Um, so we are where we are, and the fact is that there's people who will put money into carbon removal that aren't willing to put money into um, stopping emitting. So, again,
0: <laughs> from uh, it,
1: the logic doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, that's where we, that's where we are.
0: I have the impression that science, uh people technologists, you know, as, as, uh, especially Silicon Valley, that kind of drives a lot of trends, right? Um, they love um, looking at enormous technological issues, and they would and, and science fiction is a bigger driver <laughs> than, yes. than boring tech. So when you look at geoengineering, yeah. And, and solutions that are really, too, you know, crazy and could definitely alter the climate to, to the worst uh, seem m- much more enticing and appealing than uh, great technology or boring tech.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think people love the idea of a silver bullet, right? Oh, I'm going to have a yeah. white box, I'll put it on my ceiling, you know, on my roof and it's going to fix the problem. And of, of course, that's it's that's not going to happen. So, you know, it's, um, but it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's our all, all human nature, isn't it?
0: And do you have a story to share on one of the biggest learnings of failures since you launched Zero Carbon Capital? Something mm-hmm. that, that you think could, should be diffused to avoid uh, other people to, from making some mistakes?
1: So I think, you know, one thing I think that we really did right was raising a small fund, um, just kind of mm-hmm. raising what we could from from. Um, personal connections and angel investors and getting out there and deploying it but the kind of the mistake of that as well that you end up getting pigeonholed as a, you know, this teeny fund that can't do follow-on investments um, and can't lead a seed round because it's, it's just too small um, and now we're trying to kind of go out and um, undo some of those assumptions so I think it's you know you you kind of don't think I think at the outset how you're, you're building a brand um, and some of the things that we did to build that brand like the kind of companies we chose to support we're you know, 100% um, happy and, and proud to stand behind. But I think uh, it's, it's now difficult to go out and kind of rewrite the story around, oh, we only invest in the UK and we, we only invest at, you know, this stage. So, um, you know, we're now trying to get out there and uh, correct that message. So um, I think, you know, if I was going to start again, um, I would, ha- you know, have, have more clearly lined out, you know, that we're starting here and we're going here. Um, rather than you know trying to un- rewrite it with hindsight.
0: Yeah, that's true. Labels are very sticky. And mm-hmm. your fund size is also your strategy. People label yeah. you as a micro VC fund in the UK, and it's very hard to uh, to uh, yeah. unstick that. Uh, and same goes for a bigger fund, right? That my yeah. struggle might take much longer. It might take years to, to raise, but if you label those 100 uh, million plus, uh, you won't attract the same LP, right? The same uh, yes. investors that don't do smaller ticket. It's a bit of a you know, balance to find. I want to jump into your rapid fire round. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Great. First question is um, generalist or specialized. How would you categorize zero carbon capital? And what kind of funds do we need more from now on, in your opinion?
1: Oh, I think we're specialist, And I think we need more specialist funds. I think, you know, when you get general investors trying to, sorry, rapid fire, I'll stop.
0: No, that's great. That's great. Carry on. I'm, I'm actually curious.
1: Yeah, uh, Yeah, I think when you get generalist investors who try and invest in things like direct air capture, I think you get that kind of price inflation and people focusing on solutions that aren't going to scale. Um, and don't make sense from a from an energy perspective or cost perspective um, you know I think there's there's many more examples of that as well so you know I think I think specialist funds build up the network build up the the knowledge and kind of learn from those mistakes right? to, to say oh you know we looked at we looked at we've looked at 50 companies in this space and this is the best one rather than oh this is our first direct air capture company and it looks great so <laughs> no I think I think there's a real there's a real difference there
0: and, and actually, um, uh, a follow-up question is, one enormous fund versus 20 medium-sized fund what is more likely to drive the most CO2 reduction and positive impact in Europe, in your opinion?
1: Um, for, for me, it's the smaller funds. Um, the smaller you know, funds. We need, we need, Yeah, we need the follow-on capital, for sure. Um, but the, the, the problem is, I think, as funds get bigger, they can only write bigger checks. Out, checks so they then can't support... Um, the early stage opportunities and they're not willing to take uh, big risks. So I think if you have a lot of smaller funds, they can kind of focus and specialize and um, support uh, earlier stage companies better.
0: Now, talking about investment decisions, contrarian versus consensus, how do you run investment decisions internally? You're only two on the board of the investment company?
1: So at the moment, we're just two, you know, we are are growing. Um, we, we are consensus driven. So like if either of us didn't agree, uh, and, and that's basically, that's part of our due diligence process is that we have to convince the other one. And we're, we're very um, brutal about holding each other to account and, and very honest in the way that you can only be when you've been married for 20 years. Um, so, you know, I think that actually really helps us. Um, you know, we're not going to like agree to pacify the other person. Um, and, you know, we...
0: Even if it pisses off uh, Alex uh, for dinner? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there's definitely been ones where you know I've pushed it through or he's pushed it through um, you know, with, with the, the de- depth of our conviction. But you know, part of the, our job is to, to build that conviction in the other person.
0: And now, uh, last question. Uh, one Tesla versus 100 startups. What is realistically more likely to drive the most CO2 reduction? I'm obviously taking Tesla as to, to demonstrate scale. But do you yeah. think it's going to come from uh, grassroots smaller companies or one enormous home run?
1: You know, there's this, there's no, What well, so for, in terms of what's actually going to achieve the carbon dioxide uh, mitigation right. effect. Um, you know, it, there's, it, it, this comes back to the kind of, there's no, there's no silver bullet. It's going to take every single person, every single company, every single government to like genuinely believe that like this is the greatest opportunity of the next hundred years, not like this enormous cost that we all have to, to bear. Um, and that's when we'll start to see the real change happening. All of the big companies need to change, all of the little companies need to change. Um, and they will have a different part to play in in that ecosystem of innovation.
0: To conclude this show, Pipa, for people that would love to, to work, you know, to get an entry to into a great climate tech startup or even work for a climate tech VC fund, where would you advise them to? look
1: oh there's so many great networks that are springing up actually i uh, there's there's low i mean there are a lot in in london where you know i'm probably the most familiar with the networks. so like london climate connection um there's uh then for the underrepresented founders there's uh us 513 and climate mesec um both yeah you know, which have has a chat group and meetup so i think those are really great great sources um there are you know from the, the from the vc side again there's various different like. You know, WhatsApp and Slack groups and channels, which are, you know, all pretty open and collaborative. So I think those are great places to start in terms of, um, you know, building connections and kind of finding out what's out there. Um, in terms of kind of getting up to speed with what's going on in a particular industry, I think, again, there's such a wealth of knowledge out there on, um, on podcasts, which are really good at, you know, discussing the latest issues and kind of how people on the inside are, um, are thinking mm-hmm. about them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's certainly what we do and kind of what we'd, would hope somebody was doing if they wanted to get into the space.
0: And this is what we're doing right here. <laughs> yes. It. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, uh, Pippa. This has been great to have you on the show and to collect all your insights. There's a ton of uh, data that we need to post in the, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure to, to do that. And to all of you, don't forget to subscribe. We have an incredible lineup coming soon until next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.